Reinvest in your wellness goals this fall with savings on my favorite supplements. September 13th and 14th only, I'll be offering 10% off all products in my online Fullscript supplement dispensary. September 13th and 14th, two days only, get 10% off and free shipping on my entire inventory of top supplements at drhoffmanstore.com. I stock only the highest quality supplements, some of which are very hard to find elsewhere. The very same supplements I prescribe to my patients and take myself. It's the safest and most convenient way to purchase my curated supplements. Buying through Fullscript offers fast, free shipping and optional refill reminders via text or email. Never counterfeit or expired. Always stored and shipped correctly. It's safe, secure, and includes world-class customer service. Just go to DearHoffmanStore.com for 10% off and free shipping for two days only, September 13th and 14th. That's DearHoffmanStore.com, DearHoffmanStore.com. Welcome back to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. The subject is chronic fatigue syndrome. We're talking uh, via the miracle of uh, modern telecommunications uh, to Dr. Courtney Craig. Uh, I'm in New York. She's in Munich, Germany. Uh, the reason she's there is because uh, she has attended the uh, Technical University of Munich uh, to further her knowledge of uh, biochemistry and nutritional science. Uh, Courtney uh, has uh, suffered from chronic fatigue syndrome. She was first diagnosed at the age of 16, uh, and her journey has been about uh, surmounting the limitations posed by that condition. And, uh, you've, you know, I have to say, I've, I've followed you um, through your career, and uh, you really offer sort of a marvelous balance between um, open-mindedness and, uh, but also a certain conservatism about some of the, you know, because there's some conditions that are very refractory, uh, sometimes are amenable to very wacky solutions. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think you, you review them in an even-handed way. Uh, you know, you look at uh, the potential for natural medicine. You recognize its limitations. It's not a slam dunk. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're um, uh, reviewing the state of the art in a, in a responsible way. So, you know, it's well, a service, service to the community. I think you're a reliable Thank you a lot source. for saying that. that that's, that's quite a compliment. I, I appreciate that because that's exactly what I – my approach uh, – uh, when you when you're doing doing with these things is, and I think everyone out there who's listening who has a diagnosis of MECFS can agree that you've heard everything, mm -hmm. because uh, when you have conditions like this, you know everybody, and their brother is coming up to you saying, "Have you tried this? Have you tried mm -hmm. this?" Yeah. So you have to have a, a bit of skepticism, but quite a, quite a bit of skepticism, but also an open mind. So there's a balancing act there. Yeah. Thank you. So uh, let's talk a little bit about mitochondrial support, because I think one of the key right. concepts uh, in chronic fatigue syndrome, you know, energetic disorder, uh, maybe it has to do with the faulty mitochondrial function in the brain or in the muscles, uh, and therefore uh, let's amp up the efficiency of mitochondria. So what can be done to do that? Um, I would argue both, uh, peripherally and centrally in the brain. We, we see this um, kind of hy hypo function of the mitochondria, low ATP levels and just mitochondrial dysfunction. There are so many nutrients geared toward mitochondria. Not all of them are as well studied as some. Um, 
And I think a lot of patients have tried pretty much all of them. Some of the common ones are things like CoQ10, uh, acetyl-L-carnitine. Uh, most patients are prescribed these for years, uh, but they don't really report mm-hmm. much benefit from them. It's not something that they say, oh, this gives me an energy right. boost. Um, and, and, I wa- and there haven't and been extensive studies. <laughs> I've, you know, I've not seen studies that show that. And it's it's a studyable proposition. They could take a small cohort, you know, 10 or 12 patients and yeah. give them yeah. high-dose uh, ubiquinol, for example. And, mm-hmm. uh, I think we happens. have had a few very small clinical trials in MECFS looking at these supplements, and they mm-hmm. haven't been promising at all. Mm-hmm. So, and I've taken them myself, of course, uh, and also have not really warranted much benefit from them. Uh, and some of them, of course, all supplements tend to be a bit expensive. So it makes you think, well, is this not the right approach? Um, or is this not the right supplement? So when it comes to mitochondrial function, I like to instead take a more broad approach um, and reduce kind of the inflammatory load in general because reducing oxidative stress in general is going to protect mitochondrial function. Uh, and as far as supplements for that, I think the best and the best studied is going to be curcumin. Mm-hmm. Uh, curcumin is, is incredibly potent um, at reducing oxidative stress, um, and it will have an effect then to kind of uh, repress the whole global oxidative stress load uh, to preserve mitochondrial function. The problem with curcumin, though, um, is its bioavailability. So most supplements are not absorbed when taken. Um, so I really recommend just a a curcumin in a form that is going to readily get into the body through the intestine uh, where it needs to be essentially to have an effect. And the only thing that's going to do that is a liposomal form. Mm -hmm. Uh, And now in the market, we do have several companies making liposomal forms of curcumin. And those are going to be the highest potency and most effective for reducing oxidative stress to level the mitochondria. Have you looked at all at what are the new kids on the block, which is uh, nicotinamide riboside, which purports uh, to increase uh, NAD, which is certainly uh, mm-hmm. uh, a uh, uh, messenger molecule for energy uh, production? Absolutely. Um, there's a lot of debate, uh, I think, about this this nutrient because, you know, it's very popular among Silicon Valley executives that mm-hmm. want to have yeah. this anti-aging longevity nutrient. And the question is, is it really bioavailable? Um, and I've seen mixed results in the literature about that. Some of it's bioavailable, some of it's not. I think um, the the better form of it is the NMN instead of the, the NR. Um, and, and even that's controversial because, you know, even that's controversial because the, the well. NR people will push back against that proposition, of course. <laughs> right, right. But um, I digress. Don't want to get uh, technical with the chemistry. No. But I think um, some of the best of that on the market is the sublingual or the, the intranasal form. Mm-hmm. Because the problem with this nutrient is you, you need to bypass uh, liver metabolism, mm-hmm. basically. So... So the intranasal form uh, and the sublingual form seem to be most effective at raising blood levels uh, of NAD. Other than that, I, I wouldn't. And, and there have been no advise. clinical trials uh, or even anecdotal reports in patients with CFS on on that. Uh, actually, no, there has not been. Um, there was one small study again using niagen, which is nicotinamide yeah. nicotinamid riboside, um, and I don't remember, but I don't believe there was a very positive response from that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
No. So, you, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, quenching free radicals and uh, mm-hmm. reducing the inflammatory cascade. Uh, what about, you know, things like uh, glutathione, glutathione precursors? Uh, do you think that they might play a role in helping patients? Yeah, again, these are very popular uh, among patients um, to use, uh, but they all have bioavailability issues. I mean, glutathione also has a very short half-life. I recommend it sometimes, uh, particularly in in patients that are dealing with uh, also mold exposure. I think it's more effective in that instance. But when you talk about reducing the the global inflammatory load, reducing oxidative stress, I like to focus on nutrients that hit very upstream, you know, not these kind of downstream um, pathways. So you want to hit uh, immune cells and key regulatory cytokines that start the whole cascade of mm-hmm. oxidative stress uh, and inflammation. So again, it comes back to curcumin, but also things like resveratrol, and sulforaphane, which is the main mm-hmm. component of, of broccoli sprouts. Mm-hmm. I think with, with these... definite brain activity, it, it seems to uh, slow the progression too. of neurodegenerative diseases. There was an yeah. autism study even, so yeah. Absolutely, yeah, you, you wanna have these these nutrients, are they able to access the brain? Uh, are they able to have an effect there? Uh, especially since we have this neuroinflammation piece with, with MECFS, can we reduce inflammation in the brain? And these, I think, are the three best studied supplements um, and they're all available in liposomal forms. So you know that what you're taking is going to be delivered to the tissues that it needs to. Mm-hmm. And w- what about looking at the leukotrienes and the prostanoids, you know, maybe affecting that balance by using uh, omega-3 fatty acids? Does that have any plausibility here? Uh, I kind of think those are downstream downstream mm-hmm. effects. Uh, uh, as far as omega-3s, I think the best source is, is from foods. Um, the literature has been all over the place with, with supplementing that. I think our best bet is to get omega-3s from our, mm-hmm. our food sources instead. So you've obviously achieved some measure of success in uh, coping with chronic fatigue syndrome, which could have derailed your academic career, your professional career. Uh, <laughs> yes. And, you know, you've achieved, I think, a high degree of, uh, of uh, performance and productivity what are some of the things that uh, have been helpful to you personally? Um, well, again, it's been 20 years now, so it's a lot to summarize in, in a short yeah. uh, sound bite. I'm sure you've tried a million things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah tried it all. Um, but initially, um, as, I, as I've mentioned before with you, it, it's just getting an adequate diagnosis and an adequate assessment. Like understanding all aspects of, of me, uh, the endocrine, the gut, the all all balances that was never addressed and it took almost 10 years for it to thoroughly assessed and so i think it's so important to to access a functional medicine minded practitioner or just a, a good practitioner who takes takes a really thorough wide view and looks at everything because maybe there are treatable aspects um, outside of the the disease but in more recent years, um, as I've moved around and I've had to rely a lot of stuff on my own because, uh, believe it or not, that this condition's not really even recognized in the country of Germany. So I have to DIY often. Um, I've been able to maintain my progress since my initial recovery using diet and very specific supplementation. Uh, as I mentioned before, things like curcumin and, mm-hmm. and really potent anti-inflammatories. 
but also using low-dose naltrexone. Mm-hmm. Now, talk to um, us so, about LDN. That is one of the plausible strategies uh, often used in fibromyalgia, other autoimmune disease. It's been right. trialed in Crohn's disease to a small degree. Right, yeah. There's also um, some interesting small trials in fibromyalgia. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is an overlapping condition as well. We're seeing more and more uh, research with LDN, but because it's it's an old drug, it's not really profitable anymore to pharmaceutical mm -hmm. companies. It's hard to get th these these trials funded. Um, but LDN works again in the central nervous system, so it acts on a specialized cell in in the CNS called the microglia, which is a specialized immune cell in the brain and spinal cord that produces inflammatory mediators. It helps us fight infections and, and such. The LDN actually binds to a receptor uh, on the microglia to inhibit its inflammatory action. So <clears throat> this is one mechanism. Another mechanism is that it interacts with the opioid receptor. Mm -hmm. So our natural kind of pain endorphin receptor. Uh, this idea of post-exertional malaise, the immune response that comes with exertion, the, the pain, the, the low-grade fevers, I can mitigate all of this that occurs after I exert myself on a hike, for instance, by taking LDN. Then the next day, I am functional. Um, Do you take it continuously? for me. Do you take it continuously? I do or just, not. Okay, just sort of on an as-needed basis. Yeah, I do. I do. I do. I take it just as needed when I know that I'm going to have a busy day the next day, or if I do something exertional like a long bike ride or a hike, mm -hmm. then I will take it afterward. And it really completely mitigates uh, the pain, the immune response uh, that I get with exertion. Um, how the mechanism is, I'm not. We're not quite sure yet, but I think in time, there's some research ongoing, and we'll understand it better. It's a very promising, safe drug mm -hmm. um, for conditions like this. Yeah, worth a try. I mean, very easy to prescribe, relatively inexpensive. Uh, I don't know about the accessibility right. in Europe, but in the United States, it's pretty uh, ubiquitous. Uh, and we use it sometimes in fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome. So interesting. Uh, any uh, uh, take on the current infatuation with CBD and hemp-derived uh, products, even uh, cannabinoids? Yeah, I think we need a lot more research on this. Um, but anecdotally, I think it's very promising, uh, particularly for fibromyalgia or people that have really pain-predominant um, chronic fatigue syndrome, I guess I could say, or an overlap of both fibro mm -hmm. and chronic fatigue. It seems to help a lot of people. Uh, as far, I mean, and again, it's worth a shot. It, it's it's very safe. I think it has a great safety profile, just like LDN does as well, I believe. Um, but yeah, cautiously optimistic on on both of those fronts. Just with everything else, it's not going to work for everybody. Uh, and some people maybe have adverse effects because a lot of these patients tend to be sensitive uh, to different things that they try. So, so let's talk about uh, Amplogen because uh, Amplogen. Uh, is a controversial drug uh, that has been known about for a couple of decades. And uh, it's currently in a sort of a shadow status vis-a-vis uh, -vis regulation. Uh, the fo it's a small company, Sierra Pharmaceuticals or something, that makes Amplogen uh, out of Incline Village in Nevada. And mm -hmm. uh, there's very limited trials available uh, for it. Uh, patients are clamoring for it. 
Uh, the results of studies, uh, it depends on, you know, who you talk to. It's either a slam dunk or it doesn't do anything. Uh, what's right. up with that? Right. Uh, it's kind of been a standstill amplogen for, for quite some years. Um, there's a bit of controversy. A lot of it has to do with the pharmaceutical company itself. That big big article in the New Yorker uh, recently about yeah, that. Uh, excellent, excellent piece. I just read that this week as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a shame. I, I think there is some fault on the part of Hemis- Hemispherics, which is the company that, okay. that was, uh, you know, the FDA was not satisfied with the clinical trials they were putting forth and, and asked for more. And then Hemispherics kind of switched gears on them and, and tried to market it instead as almost for for the swine flu uh, as an option. And they kind of lost track of their their studies in MECFS. Uh, and they didn't meet the demands of the FDA. Um, and everything kind of got shelved. Uh, and also that the cost of this drug is just, you know, insurmountable for, for most patients i yep. think at 30 dollars or something for for treatment and the issue with it is it may work for a subset of patients but it's it works when it's given continuously which and it's an intravenous medication so it's a mm-hmm. bit invasive and once you stop it uh, i don't know if the effects are as lasting uh as they should be so the verdict is still out. I just don't think the resources and the management there were adequate to properly study this medication. But we'll see. Time will tell if it has a resurgence again. Um, it's wonderful that the people that, that did benefit from it. But again, are these effects lasting? Um, and, and there's another so. uh, uh, potential and reputed breakthrough therapy for this, which has to do with something called CRH, cortisol-releasing hormone, uh, if I have this correct, which is a, a pituitary uh, hormone. Uh, I'm sorry, it's a hypothalamic hormone that speaks to the pituitary, that causes the pituitary to signal to the adrenals, to, and it, in effect, it sort of reboots a normal adrenal function because it's thought that there's some sort of disruption of the uh, hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis in mm-hmm. these patients. I mean, that's reasonable. That, can make, that sounds like it makes sense. Um, where are we with, with the research on that? Right, so that drug is called Cortine, um, and it's now entering phase two trials um, with uh, the clinic uh, run by Dr. Lucinda Bateman, the Bateman Horn Clinic, which is a, a nonprofit clinic now. Um, we shall see. I mean, I, I am not opposed to any treatment strategy that is actually going to help patients, absolutely, by all means. We have no approved medications. You know, these patients are, are desperate for some relief. And if this helps just a handful, it's wonderful. The issue I have with this and, and also perhaps Amplogen is, again, going back to this grand unifying theory of this disease. Are we approaching this in a cohesive manner? Are we really treating the disease uh, with the Cortine trial, I really think it, it's addressing sequelae of the condition. The disrupted HPA axis, I think, is a result mm-hmm. of the d- disease. It's not a causative factor. So when we gear medication toward this, we're just treating a symptom. Uh, we're just treating a consequence of, of this condition. 
So there's there's some controversy surrounding this drug as well, um, particularly in the neuroscientists in this field. Uh, I think scientists should, again, take a step back. Uh, we need to kind of be on the same page about defining what this condition is. Um, and we, we need to center research that's not based on just studying the sequelae of the condition, the after effects, the things that are just the result of being sick for so long. But we need to understand the mechanisms that perpetuate the disease. And there we can find treatment strategies that are targeted to upstream events uh, instead of just these band-aid approaches in, in my opinion and some so. of that's got to come out of uh, political activism and uh yes. you know uh, unfortunately uh, or fortunately we don't have uh, uh thousands of cfs patients uh, hurling red paint on the steps of uh, <laughs> uh the uh, the fda uh in an effort to accelerate drug development like we had with the uh, the aids epidemic well instead of red paint we put shoes Okay. I don't know if you're familiar with the millions missing marches that, oh. that are happening every year across the world. I actually attended one here in Munich this past year. Hmm. Um, millions missing. Uh, it's the millions of us that are missing in normal spaces because we're too ill to go out because these patients are stuck in their bedrooms. They're so debilitated. Uh, they can't participate in normal life. They can't participate in research often because they're debilitated, homebound, bedbound. So their caregivers, their family, their friends, they go out and they gather in the streets in different cities and they bring shoes, you know, because when you're bedbound, you're not wearing your shoes to go out often. And it's a really touching event, and it's been incredibly successful in, in most major cities. You have these grassroots organizations organizing these tremendous events. There was one in Berlin. There was one in Munich. Uh, there's there was a few in New York as well, and it, it's striking because people are walking down the street, and you see all of these shoes laid out on the street, mm -hmm. uh, and with them little notes um, that give a little biography about the person who who is suffering with this condition. That's a great um, way to dramatize their plight. It it is. It's been a really successful campaign. So there's been tremendous advocacy uh, in recent years, particularly with since the release of the film Unrest. Um, and I commend everyone that, that's working uh, to be advocates for this. I, I've been really impressed with the, what they've been able to achieve uh, in, in local governments, as well as just raising general awareness online and in person with the general population who still either don't know what this disease is or don't understand it. Well, we've covered a lot of ground uh, here today, but uh, I want to leave you a, a moment or so to tell our audience about the services that you offer. Uh, you're located in Munich, Germany, so perhaps uh, some of our U.S. listeners can't come and see you, although it's a nice city. Uh, <laughs> do you do uh, long-distance consultations? Or what, what does that consist of? I do. I do work um, through uh, conference calls over Skype or whatever sort of video chat platform is available um, to work with patients one-on-one -on -one to really dive into the history of your condition deeply. Uh, and it's one of the most humbling experiences I've, I've ever had in my life uh, to, to interact with these patients. Some of them have been sick longer than I've been alive. I mean, there's, there's nothing more humbling than that, mm -hmm. to hear people's stories and to really kind of try to piece together the timeline 
of the condition uh, and understand where maybe this person wasn't evaluated thoroughly. Did mm -hmm. we not look at this avenue? Did we not look at this avenue? Um, and then from there, you know, yes, I can order testing. I can order that remotely as well um, and make recommendations, you know, uh, and set realistic expectations, uh, all aimed at improving, you know, there is no cure to this condition, unfortunately, but I think there's a lot of things we can do. Some of them are simple. Some of them are, are not so simple to move the ball forward, to, to improve overall health, reduce systemic inflammation, and even little steps in improvement in energy and stamina mean a lot for, for patients who are so debilitated. Um, and yeah. the, the way to contact you is via your website, which is uh, com. correct? That's right. I'm also on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. Um, I'm easily available online. And yes, you can and find you me there. Put up good stuff on social media, and I follow you. <laughs> yeah, I learn so much. Um, I'm always nose deep in the literature because, again, this is such an evolving field, uh, and there's so much interesting stuff coming out now, and really new minds in the field from from different different disciplines coming together and giving new perspectives. So it's always interesting to think outside the box, of course, but also learn something that I have no idea about because it's outside of my expertise. So the constant evolution of this forces me to always be abreast of, of the literature and constantly change my thinking as well. Great. Courtney uh, Craig is also author of All My Test Results Are Normal, A Smart Guide to Testing for Chronic Fatigue Syndrome. That's available via Amazon as an ebook. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, uh, Courtney, and thanks for your uh, very, very responsible work in an area where which is so much needed. We really appreciate it. Thank you. I want to thank you for listening to the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or your favorite podcast app and get new episodes automatically downloaded every weekday. And please give us a rating and review. It truly helps new people discover Intelligent Medicine. The Intelligent Medicine Podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of information on this podcast or materials linked from this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their health care professionals for any such conditions. Finally, please visit drhoffman.com and discover everything intelligent medicine has to offer, including frequently updated unbiased health news and fully vetted product and supplement recommendations. 